And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to the Success Story Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary. On this podcast, I have candid interviews with execs, celebrities, politicians, and other notable figures, all who have achieved success through both wins and losses, to learn more about their life, their ideas, and their insights. I sit down with leaders and mentors and unpack their story to help pass those lessons on to others through both experiences and tactical strategy for business professionals, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. Before we start today's episode, a quick note from our sponsor, Enthround, a fully comprehensive equity management platform. This is what they do. Business owners, are you looking to raise capital and unlock shareholder liquidity? Before hiring expensive consultants or brokers, you need to know about Enthround. Private businesses use Enthround to unlock liquidity without bloating costs. With Enthround's Equity Management Suite, you'll be able to create liquidity, engage with shareholders, and control your company's destiny, all in one secure platform. Get your free guide to liquidity. Go to enthround.com liquidity. That's enthround.com liquidity. Thanks again for joining me. I'm sitting down with Jim Jordan, who is an American director, fashion and commercial photographer, entrepreneur, talent scout, and manager, as well as producer, initially working as a hair and makeup artist and modeling talent scout. Jordan's self-taught style of photography gained the attention of the owner of fashion retailer J. Crew, which led him to becoming the world-renowned fashion and commercial photographer and director. Jordan's photography has been featured on the covers of magazines such as Vogue, Vanity Fair, Elle, and Mary Claire, as well as many others. Jordan has photographed and worked with celebrities such as Leonardo DiCaprio, Mila Kunis, Drew Barrymore, Jessica Alba, and Kris Jenner, to name a few. As an entrepreneur, Jordan is the owner of three businesses, Jim Jordan Photography, which handles Jordan's fashion and commercial photography, White Cross Productions, a production group that directs films, produces ad campaigns and commercials for clients such as Mercedes-Benz, American Express, and Warner Brothers, to name a few, and White Cross Management, a talent management agency that has represented numerous celebrities and models, most notably Jeremy Meeks, Taylor Hill, and Gigi Hadid, as well as actors, musicians, and creatives in other branches of entertainment. Thank you so much for sitting down. Very, very excited to be sitting down with somebody who has worked with some of the who's who of Hollywood, of entertainment. I want to understand a little bit more about your story, how you became to the person you are today, how you built out your businesses, how you built out your career. But just thank you very much for sitting down. I share with you my journey, how I started, what inspired me, what inspires me today, and where I'm going, where I've been, and where I'm still going to go. So... I'm happy so, to share with you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And I really am curious, how did you 
get started in, let's say, get started in photography, to put it as simple as possible, what was your career path, your ambition to get you started on this path? When I was a kid, I was in school in the eighth grade, and I had a friend, a beautiful friend, this girl, and she went to Beverly Hills shopping with her mom one day, and she came back to school on Monday and said, this man scouted me out named John Casablanca. He's the owner of the biggest modeling agency in the world, and he thinks I'm going to be a, mo- a big supermodel, and he wants to fly me to Paris, and I'm leaving school. My mom's taking me out. I'm moving to Paris. And I was like, she left school a week later. I was devastated. Like, she was one of my homies, best friends. And I was like, whoa, some man came up to you, changed your life, took you out of school, flew you to Paris to make you. And I was thinking to myself, I never met even a model. I never knew there was a man that even existed that did that stuff. So I was like, I want to get to Europe and get to Paris. That sounds so cool. So I ran out and bought a little business card with my name on it, my mom's phone number on the back. and. That year, I started hitchhiking and skateboarding to all the schools where I was from. I grew up in the West Valley, Calabasas, and I would go to like six, seven high schools a week. And I'd go in there at their nutrition or lunch break, and I'd find girls and guys that I thought could be models. I'd take a little card, and I'd give them the card. I'd say, have, could you have your mom and dad call me? I think you could be a model. And they'd be like, who are you? So <laughs> I had a ponytail. I had a skateboard. I was just a little grom kid. And a lot of the girls would have their moms call me. So I would say, I would like you to come to my house. And my next door neighbor, a guy, and his name's Greg Glassman. He's a creator of CrossFit. He lived next door to me. And he was the only person I knew at that time that had a camera. And so I begged him to take pictures of these kids I was finding in these schools. And he was like, you're finding models, thinking this was going to be good for him. So he would, these girls would come with their mothers to his house and stand over me and him, and I would do the girls' makeup and hair, and I'd tell them how to take the pictures. I'd be like, turn her like this, be like this. Have, and I would just direct the girls, and I'd be like, great, take the picture, crop it like this. And after like the fourth and fifth model I brought to him, he was so sick of doing it. He's like, dude, I'm done doing this. I can't do this for you anymore. And so I'd get it. One, I'd shoot, he'd shoot one roll of film, a black and white contact sheet, and I'd break it the mom to take me down to Hollywood to the modeling agencies. And I was working with Ford Models and Elite. And I'd lock these girls in. And every girl I brought in, they were assigned a contract to. And they were like, how are you finding these girls? Like, who are you? You're so young. Like, why are you doing this? And I'd be like, I like, like doing a girl's makeup and hair and taking a picture of her and or letting her see how I see her. And a lot of the girls were like, they were always like 5, 10, no makeup. They were picked on. They were bullied. They thought they were like the ugliest people in the world. And what I saw or how I saw my gift was to see how someone looks, how a camera will see them. And it's a long process, but I started finding these amazing girls. And every girl I'd bring in, they started getting signed. So my friend Greg was like, I'm not doing this anymore for you. You're on your own. I'm giving you the camera. You're taking it. I'm done. And I'm just like, bro, I don't even know how to hold this thing. I don't know how to use it. I was like begging him not to leave me. I was like crying, like, bro, you're my best friend. He's like, Jay, I'm sick of it. Like, done. You need to learn how to do this. Come here. And he grabbed me around the neck. He's like, this is how you open it. You put the film in. You drag it over here. You click it and wind it engage it and put it on P. You don't have to do shit. And I'm like, I don't want to hold. Like, I'm scared. I'm going to drop it. And He's like, here it is. Here's my tripod. Put it on the tripod. 
and he handed me the tripod with the camera on. He goes, you don't even know the whole, you don't even need to hold the effing thing. Just keep it on the tripod on, command, on program. And so I left and I knew he was serious. He's walking out of my life for helping me out. And so I was like kind of thinking, I don't need to wait for him. So I went crazy finding all these models and brought them to my house. And I was shooting them now. And I was doing the makeup and hair and making mistakes and my learning from mistakes. And I wasn't technical at all, but I was taking really cool pictures because of the way I would style these girls and make them feel comfortable being able to really communicate to people. And so that's kind of how my journey started was photographing people. So I went to the model agencies with like the fifth girl that I had signed with Elite. And they're like, you're really good. Who's doing the makeup and hair and taking these pictures? And I'm like, I'm doing everything. They're like, you should get an agent to represent you doing hair and makeup for the magazines and celebrities. I'm like, I don't even, that's the last thing I'd ever thought it would ever be. They're like, like, I don't know hairdressers. I've never even been in a hair salon. And that's the last thing I would ever really want to do is be a hair and makeup guy. Like I'd be laughed at, like my friends would kill, like I'd be yeah. a joke, my parents would kill me. And so I thought of this, I should, they're like, they're agencies, they're not salons. They represent the biggest hair and makeup people in the world. Like when Madonna or a movie rock star or a movie star wants her makeup and hair for a talk show or a magazine, they call these special agencies. And they're like, you should go in there and show them these pictures you're taking. And maybe you should go to Milan and Paris and go try to work over there and build your portfolio with magazines and work for photographers and learn photography. So I always had that in the back of my mind, like, whoa. So a whole nother life story, a lot of tragic stuff happened to me when I was a kid. And when I was 15 and I was two weeks before I was 16, I ran away from home and I moved to Italy and I lived in the park and I ran away basically to save my life. That's not a, that's tough. And I, I ran away and I lived in the park in Italy and I always thought like all these models I was finding were being sent over to Milan and to Paris. So I thought I was going to go run away and go to the fashion capital of the world and work for magazines and photographers doing makeup and hair and learn techniques of photography by working for photographers. So I found my way around in Italy and I went into the modeling agencies and I met one of the owners of the agency named Luigi, a fashion agency there. And he says, what are you here for? And I says, I, I, I'm from California and I've been scouting models and here are some pictures I've been taking. And I really like, I'm doing the hair and makeup and an agency and Elite in LA told me I should come to Milan and try to work with photographers and magazines and put a portfolio together. So I'm coming in here, like just taking a chance to meet you. I had my skateboard with me and he was like, you're like so young and like, this is amazing. And he says, you come in at 10 o'clock in the mornings and I'll make meetings for you to go meet photographers so, and magazines. So I would go there at 10 o'clock in the morning. There were no cell phones back then, texting. I'd go into the meeting 10 in the morning and I'd say, hi, how are you? And he'd be like, come here, come here. And he'd get on the phone and start calling magazines. And I, long story short, went to this magazine called Grazie in Milan and the hair and makeup person didn't show up that morning in the studio that was upstairs. I was interviewing, showing him my picture. He goes, hey, can you work right now? Because we have a hair and makeup guy that didn't show up and they're running late and the whole team is upstairs waiting. And I'm like, I don't have anything with me because we have everything here. 
So that day I ended up doing a cover of Grazia magazine and a 10 page fashion story inside. And that's kind of the day my career started working with the Tardoys and magazine. And I lived in Milan for three years in Paris. And I started working for Harper's Bazaar and Vogue and it kind of like this whole door opened in my life and the magazines that were all in a building called Montadori, there was Vogue in the building, Harper's Bazaar, Grazia, it was like the Condé Nast where all the magazines are in one building. And I started being there working in the studios and all the editors from all the magazines would be walking by our studio and they'd come up and be like, hey, we've never seen you, where are you from? And I was like, I'm from California. I was really young, I was 16. And they're like, oh my God, you do makeup and hair. Like, oh my, and everybody started talking. And it was a really small world there at Montessori. And the other magazines started booking me. I started putting a book together, a portfolio, and all my covers were coming out. And I was learning photography and watching and afraid to ask questions. When I was 19, I came back to America. And I went back to that hair and makeup agency in Hollywood. And they were like, I showed them my portfolio and they were like, we can't believe you've done this. And they're like, we want to represent you. A week later, I was working with Elizabeth Taylor. And each day I was working with Bert Stern and Helmut Newton. And I ended up back in LA, going back in LA and New York. And I started working with Elizabeth Taylor for everything and Whitney Houston and Farrah Fawcett and just Jeff Bridges and Kurt Russell. And I started working with Herb Ritz and like being on set with these legend photographers. And I was never like trying to steal that how they lit. I was just so into how they communicated and saw things. And I uh, started just being a sponge on the wall, standing in the background, hanging out with the talent, doing the makeup and hair and just kind of watching and observing everything. In years of doing that, I did hair and makeup for 15 years. And I worked for the biggest photographers and so many supermodels and legends. And I'd be working for like Bloomingdale's doing hair and makeup on the beach with Cindy Crawford, like when she was starting. And we'd get a lunch break and I'd say, Cindy, let's run down the beach and go swimming. And I'd have my my little camera in my backpack. And... I would never tell the photographers I brought my camera on set because they'd freak out because back then it was very competitive. and I could never mention I took pictures. And so I ran down the beach with Cindy with our box lunches and we went just far enough so the, the team, our photo team, couldn't see us. And we'd go swimming in the ocean, bring our towels. And then she'd be coming out of the water. I'm like, can I take some pictures of you? She's like, do you have a camera? And I'd get my camera out of my backpack flip her head upside down and I'm like, like go off, like give me my give me shit you don't give anybody. And she we just play on the beach, run, I'd run her down the beach, chasing her, taking her pictures, run back to me, I'm running back, like just capturing images and having fun at work. And like those were the kind of jobs where I felt like, whoa, like I'm not just doing the makeup and hair, but I'm capturing these moments that I will never and I took those pictures. I did mostly shot black and white. And there were like 36 frames on one roll of film. And I would get like an 11 by 14, two or three from that roll of film. And I'd stick them in this black box. And for years and years, I'd be on shoots. And I would take pictures and sneak in. I'd work with like Farrah Fawcett and walk her out to her car at the end of the day. I did it for the cover of Life magazine. And I did her makeup and we bonded that day. And Walk, helped her carry her bags to the car and I would be like 
so nervous to ask her. She's getting in the car, like saying goodbye. I was like, um, do you mind if I take a couple of pictures of you? And she'd be again like, what do you mean? Like, what? You have a camera? I'd be like, hold on. I'd get my backpack, get the camera, put her up against the parking lot wall, do her hair, stand like this, be like this, blah, 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 blah. Shooting as fast as I can, looking over my shoulder to see if anybody's watching. And I would get a print, put them in the black box. And so for years, I started putting all these 11 by 14s in this black box. And it wasn't like I was taking pictures because I really thought I could ever be a photographer. I, first of all, always had these voices in my head saying, you're not technical enough. You don't really even know how to work a camera. You don't know how to use a light meter. You don't know how to plug in a power pack. But what I did know is I knew how to talk to people and get people to do anything I would ask them to do. And it was a way that I communicated to people to really get them to trust me and that they would do anything for me because I would do anything for them. And what I kind of would model to them about my vulnerability and who I was and what I wanted to share and give them, it was like a mirror, like they were giving that back to me. And I would capture those moments and the looks in their eyes. And I had this box for years and years and I was always like, after years of doing it, I was so frustrated at, on my shoots for doing hair and makeup for so many photographers I worked with. I'm like, how did they get these jobs? They don't know how to communicate. Like, it's horrible working for them. And the talent's miserable. This is like, it feels like work. It shouldn't feel like it. And so I was just so frustrated for years. And I, you know, I had house and cars and I had great living and I had amazing clients that loved me. And I never thought that could I ever leave my career and say goodbye to all these celebrities and great people that love me and work with me and hired me all the time and all the loving, amazing photographers that I was think the voice in my head was like, you can never try to jump in their lane. Who do you think you are that you could go and let the world find out you're quitting doing makeup and hair and become a photographer? Your parents don't have money. You don't technical. And it was all these thoughts and voices in my head that kept me for years afraid to show anyone my picture. And so I used to work with J. Crew all the time, and the owner used to take me on these trips. Am I ranting too much? No, this is, uh, this is, this is uh, great this is because crazy. everything that I was going to ask is stuff that you're already bringing out. So keep, you know, keep going. This, this is the story that I wanted to understand. Like there's so many points, like the perseverance. Like first of all, the risk. And just like the, I don't know, the ability to go overseas when you were like 15, 16, who does that? No, nobody can do that. Everyone, I, I don't think a single person I know that would have the courage, like, you know, just like the, the balls to go do that. That's in, very impressive. So I guess I a just want to. A lot of stuff happened to me when I was a kid in those times, that really challenging time of what made me run away. And I was on the streets and I was very street smart. And I, long, I'll tell you my story later. That's a whole other chapter. I have a book coming out about this story and this tragic thing that happened to me. But I was forced to kind of live on the streets here in America and do crazy things. So I was fearless. So me getting on a plane at 15, buying one, changing my ID and stealing my brother's identity, getting a passport and a different name and getting a one-way ticket, living in a park and finding my way there was very familiar to me on how I was living my life. Like, because I had a horrible home, a childhood, home life, and nothing was worse. It was better being on the street with strangers than it was feeling where I was so supposed to feel safe. And so I took this journey 
So I was, you know, shooting these pictures back go, going forward, which taking all these pictures and challenged, miserable at work, working with all these people that I didn't respect. And, but I was so afraid to even tell anyone I knew how to take pictures. So the owner of J. Crew used to book me. I worked for them for seven years on all their photo shoots, and they take me on all their trips. And I do the makeup and hair on all the models. I'd be in Barbados, Harbor Island, or Hawaii, or Arizona. We went everywhere. And the, the clients used to always hire these famous photographers from France, barely spoke any English. She'd hire this Japanese photographer, wore white gloves and a hat, and she was very soft-spoken. So on all the shoots, the models were like, this is so boring. So the client with J. Crew, the owner, would always say, JJ, get on set and direct these people. Like, we want you to direct. So stand next to the photographer, do, do, do the makeup and hair, but direct these models. And all the models were my friends. They were like, I worked with them for years. And we'd skinny dip at night, and I'd get everyone, like, kissing and hold hands and, like, go off and I would be on set. She was like, your energy is amazing on set. Like, just tell the models what to do. So uh, after a few shoots, the models would come up to Emily and go, Emily, why don't you have him shoot? Why do you have him just direct? He's an amazing photographer. And then she's like, what are you talking about? I've been working with Jim for six to seven years. He cuts my hair. I've been to my house. He knows my family. And he's never mentioned ever once that he takes pictures. What are you talking about? He takes pictures. And, and this guy, Anthony Crane, this famous model kid, he was one of my best friends. He's like, he's an amazing photographer, and he's so humble and shy to ever tell anybody that he takes pictures because he doesn't want to overstep his boundaries. And he doesn't take pictures for anybody and for people to know about. She's like, you're kidding. So she goes, no, talk to him. So Emily called, calls me, we come home, we're back in New York. She calls me. She's like, I want to talk to you. And she says, all the models tell me you've been taking pictures and why haven't you ever told me? And I'm like, I, I just take pictures like to document my life. And I don't take pictures for other people and I'm not taking pictures for people to see. It's for my journey, my life, and the people I get to spend time with and that I can capture the moments in my life. And she goes, well, I want to see your portfolio. And I'm like, I don't have a portfolio. And I go, and truthfully, I don't want to show anybody because I don't want to be compared to or critiqued or judged. It was like my biggest fear, really, for anyone to look at my images. And even, I, wasn't, I didn't want to show anyone my pictures. And I go, I don't want to show you my, my pictures, truthfully. It's for me. It's just my journal. And she was like, uh, if you don't show me your pictures, I'm never going to work with you again. And I'm like, are you kidding me? She goes, no, that's how serious I am that I want to see your pictures. And I'm like, I don't have a portfolio. It's in California. It's a black box and it's got like pictures in it and it's all I have. And it's not in any kind of way. It's just pictures that I've collected. So she goes, well, you're going to come back to New York in a couple of weeks. I want to see that. And so she was serious, like she wasn't going to hire me anymore. And that was one of my biggest clients then. So I came back to New York and we were in touch. And she goes, I want you to remember to bring your pictures. So I go to New York. I'd smoke a bunch of, I'd smoke a joint in the morning. I'm so nervous. I get on my skateboard. I got my backpack on, skateboard at the 
29th Street to the corporate office on Avenue of the Star Americans. And I go up there. I'm so, I'm so nervous. And I go in and they escort me into the conference room. And there's like seven art directors that I had known for years that had been on all our trips. And Emily comes in. She goes, JJ's here to show us his photos. And they're like, what? JJ? Dude, <laughs> that is so stressful. <laughs> and I was stripping. And I was like, oh, I was cringing. So they, I slam my book down on the table and Emily comes, stands up and I'm back up and I'm standing there and I back up from the table and I, I turn my back and she opens my book and I can't look at any of them. And they're all getting out of their chairs to come around to look. So I walk away like 10 feet and I turn my back to them because it was, I just didn't want to see, I didn't want to, I just, the voices in my head were like, you're not good. You're not talented enough. You're technical. I was just like, I don't want to see their faces. So I walked away. And she was flipping through these pictures, and she was like, oh, my God, I could hear her. And I had these pictures, and the first, like, 10 pictures in the book, it was like when I lived in Italy in the park, I made friends with all the rugby players. And I was in the park every day, and all the guys, the Italian guys that played rugby in the rain, and they were not speak any English. And I was always there, and they were like, hey, like, really nice to me. So I would, like, get them together and take portraits of them, and it was like, I had all these pictures of pouring rain and they were all muddy. Their shirts were off and I had them with all their mallets and all these Italian best friends hugging each other. And like, and I had all these pictures of this rugby team guys, Italian guys in the rain. And she was like, and they were black and white. She's like, Jay, these are, and then she would turn the pictures of Cindy Crawford and Whitney Houston and Jeff Bridges and Kurt. And they were like, oh, how do you know these people? This is insane. And I never told my clients who my clients were. So I'd go to work and it was all about J. Crew. I never was like, oh, I just got off a plane with Nick Cage doing him or working with Jeff Bridges or whoever I was with. I never told people what my life was because my life, I wanted it to be all about them. And that's one of my gifts as a photographer is to really talk about people and let them feel that they're the most important thing in the world. When people start asking questions about me, I'm like, it might not seem that way right now, because, but that's really how I live my life. I always want to throw it back on them. And so she, like, they couldn't believe my pictures. And she looked at me and she says, we cannot believe you've been hiding this. This is crazy amazing. And she flipped back to the rugby pictures and she goes, we want you to do this for us. And I'm like, what? She goes, I want you to hire any male models you want and get a group of rugby models from New York. And I want to take you out to a rugby cricket field in Connecticut. And I'm going to turn you loose and let you pick whatever clothes you want to pick and whatever models you want to shoot. And I want to turn you loose on that cricket field and reenact this shoot. And I'm like, Emily, like that, I, I don't, I don't, that's a lot of pressure. Like, I don't, so I was like, okay, like, and she goes, and we'll pay you for it. Like, we really want to see what you can do. So I go to Connecticut. They pick me up. I cast like six guys. I go out there and I shoot in Connecticut. And they get the film back. And a week later, they call me up and they're like, we're going to Hawaii for 14 days. And we want you to come and do hair and makeup 
but we're going to hire you as a second unit photographer, meaning, meaning we're hiring a photographer named Victoria Sims, and she's from here in New York. I worked with her for many years. And we're going to have you do the hair and makeup and be second unit photographer, meaning you could do whatever you want. She's going to get all the important shots and all the clothes that we have to shoot, but you can be free and do anything. Put guys in bikinis, like do anything, just be creative however you want. So we go to Hawaii and I'm like, this is it. And they brought all the film. It was just my little camera. It didn't even have a motor drive. It was my camera. I just click one, click one, click one. And all the models that were there were my friends that I knew forever. And they were over there on the set with boring Veronica. And I'd be on the beach like, get naked, like get on the ground, like kiss her, lay on, throw her on your back and run down the beach with her on your and I was like, oh, this is my moment. And everyone on the other side was like, we want to be over there. Like, this sucks. So I was like wrangling all these models, getting into all this shit. And when Emily hired me for Hawaii, she says, we want you to be the second unit photographer. And we're going to pay you $250 for every picture we end up using, if we use any pictures. So I... So I'm like, no way. She goes, I will pay you your hair and makeup rate. So I go there, and I, every day I was shooting like 300 rolls of film. And at the end of the day, the producer would come over with a baggie, and all my film would be in the baggie, and she would just take it from me. And they FedEx it to New York that night from Hawaii. And every day I would shoot. I had like 300 rolls of film, 250 rolls of film each day I was shooting. She'd come at the end of the day. they put it in FedEx and FedEx to the lab in New York. So I come back 10 days, 15, 14 days later, back to New York. I don't know what happened to the film. I'm uneasy that they get to see it because there's shit in that film that I was doing where I wasn't thinking they're going to see it. So I have like naked people running around like all oh, doing all this crazy stuff. So two, a few weeks later, they call me from corporate. And I used to get in a lot of trouble on shoots because I was like a hellraiser and I was always... You know, the security in the hotel would come up and like, you all are naked in the pool. You were going to have you arrested. Like, get, get out of here. So I was doing all this crazy shit being a kid. And I get a call from corporate, J. Crew, and they're like, hey, we need to see you in the corporate office. And I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. Like, I blew it. Like, I did shit. And so I get on my skate and I go up to the corporate office and I, they're like, they escort me into the, into, the room into the big conference room. And I walk in and all the editors are in there, like seven art directors are in there and Emily. And as I walk in the room, all the pictures from Veronica Sims were on the wall. wall. There was like 500 pictures on the wall. And I walk up and I'm like, and there were all the models. I didn't take any of them. I'm looking for my pictures. I don't see one. And I'm like, oh my God, that picture is amazing. Look how good. And I'm like, look at that, that shot's awesome. Look how beautiful. And I'm looking for my pictures. There's no pictures. And I'm kind of like, and I'm trying to compliment all the photos. And I'm looking, my heart's like sinking. Like, I don't see any, not one of my pictures. And I'm being so nice. Like, this is so beautiful. Look at them. And Emily's like, yeah, but you haven't seen yours yet. And I'm like, what do you mean? There's none of my pictures are here. And she goes, turn around. And when I walked through the door, all my pictures were on the wall behind me. 
and I turned around and the whole wall was covered of all my pictures. And I was trying to count them because she told me I had 250 in image. And the whole corporate wall was full of my images and layouts. And I was like, one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> like I was trying to count them like in my head. And I like lost count. I'm like, and I stood there like started bawling. And I stood there and I was like tears pouring down my face. And she came over to me and she like gives me the biggest hug and she's like, it's time. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's hugging me and she's like, it's time that you laid on your hair and makeup brushes. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she says, it's time that you get an agent in New York. You're, you were so talented and we love, love, love your energy and your pictures. And I was like, I can never do that. And she's like, Jay, look at your pictures. Look how beautiful. Look at all. We're using like 700 of your images. And you didn't have an assistant. You didn't have anything. This was all you. And I was like, she goes, it's time for you to get an agent here in New York and lay down your brushes. And I was like, I can't. I can't. Like, and so I was trying to talk myself out of it. Like, I'll lose all my clients. I'll go broke. I'll lose my house. I'll lose my cars. I'll lose all my friends and all my all the photographers I love, I'll lose all of them. And so she's like, you need to get an agent. We're going to make meetings for you and agents in New York. You need it. All my J. Crew stuff and the rugby stuff started coming out. And so after the Hawaii stuff, I got billboards and all this stuff, and I started putting in the black box. And she says, there's like five agents you should go meet in New York. So I grudgingly just did it to appease her. And I went to an agency called Art and Commerce in New York, and they represent Stephen Mizell and all these huge photographers. And I was questioning myself, like, I do not pretty here. Like, I'm, they're going to laugh at me. These guys they have are legends. So I went there, and they're like, wow, you're really, you know, you have some really beautiful pictures, but we have a similar photographer with a similar style, and, but we'd like to keep an eye on you and see where you up, end up in six months. Could you like just stay in touch with us? Good luck to you, but it's a path, but thanks. So I leave and I go to my next meeting and I skateboard up and I go up five stairs of floors and there's this blonde woman sitting there and I go, hi, how are you? I have a meeting. She's like, what's your name? I'm like, Jim Jordan. I have a three o'clock meeting with Bonnie Winston. She goes, I'm Bonnie. She goes, are you a photographer? And I'm like, no, I'm a hair and makeup person. She goes, well, why are you here? I represent photographers. And I go, well, I've been taking pictures and I work with this lady named Emily, the owner of J. Crew, who asked me to come in and see you guys and show you my photos. And so she goes, do you have a portfolio? And I go, no, but I have a black, I have this black box that has prints in it. So she opens the box and it's like literally handheld 11, point, 11 by 14 prints not in plastic, just like really fragile prints. And she starts looking through this. She's like, oh my God, you, t you took, this is insane. How old are you? Like, where did you meet these people? And I'm like, I do hair and makeup and I met all these celebrities and supermodels at work. And I worked for Helmut Newton and all these great photographers and I had the opportunity to work, be with these people. And I took pictures on this side. And she's like, hold on a minute. She goes, can I keep this? here? And I'm like, no, it's all I, I can't leave it. She goes, hold on a minute. She gets on the phone. 
she goes, Dario, ta, 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 ta. she's like, hey, Renee, this is Bonnie Winston in New York. And I'm about to hot to sign a photographer. She goes, that I'm so sure you are going to love. I will never, ever call you to see a photographer as long as I live. That's how sure I am that you're going to love this guy. And she hangs up the phone and she goes, I'll have his book there FedEx tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. She hangs up. She goes, did you hear me? And I'm like, you can't keep this. And I go, what's FedEx? And she goes, FedEx is a courier service because it's right when FedEx was coming out in years ago. And I go, she goes, FedEx is a courier service. It has insurance and it'll be in Chicago. It'll leave New York tonight at 10 and be in Chicago by 10 tomorrow morning. And I go, well, I'm leaving to California tomorrow. She goes, well, we'll have a FedEx back to you in California. I'm like, I can't leave this. I go, this is 20 years of my life, my journey, my roadmap to everything I experienced in my life. I can't give it to you. She goes, Jay, will you trust me? I put everything on it. I have it back to you. Jay, this is the biggest advertising agency, Leo Burnett. That's the biggest. And I trust me. You, you just heard me stick my neck out for you. So I'm like, oh, my God, Gil. I'm like, okay, but please, I, I can't. You can't. So I fly back to L.A. Two days later, my FedEx book comes back to L.A. And she calls me. Goes, Jay, are you sitting down? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, I just booked you on a 14-day job for Bloomingdale's. And they're going to pay you $7,500 a day. And I was like, no way. I go, no way, Bonnie. I can't do it. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and she goes, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I can't do it. I go, Bonnie, I'm scared to death. I can't do it. I'm not a photographer. I'm just, I'm just like guessing what I'm doing. I'm just like winging shit. I don't know how to use a power pack or a light meter or a color meter. I don't know how to plug. I don't know how to do push or pull film. I'm so untechnical. She goes, Jay, you get your ass back to New York with your skateboard. I will have the best photo assistants on your team doing everything for you. I'll have the owner of the lab standing next to you every single day. I'm going to book your motorhomes, your caterers, your locations, your hair, your makeup, your styling. All you got to do is hold the effing camera up to your face, look through that little hole, and whatever you see that's pretty, push your finger. That's all you do. She goes, you are not saying no to this. And I'm like, I'm scared. And the voices in my head were like, who do you think you are? And everyone's going to find out you're shooting, and you're going to lose all your celebrity clients and all your makeup clients and all your livelihood and your bank account, everything. And I'm like, I can't do it. So I, I smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> I can't do it. Being a kid, like trying to bury my fear and like build my confidence. So 10, eight days later, nine years, nine days later, I get on a plane and fly back to New York. And I sleep there. And the next morning, I was to go at the post office, was my first location on Fifth Avenue. And I go skateboarding up, smoke out in the morning skateboard up and there were like three motorhomes and a team like 50 people in a crew all meandering around in the around the motorhomes and stuff and i stopped like a block away and i'm like no way like this is real this is such a big production i'm tripping 
So I skateboard up and I get off my skate and I'm walking up and there's this beautiful blonde lady sitting on the curb smoking a cigarette. And she's like this hippie Moroccan blonde chick. And I come walking up to her and she goes, hi. And I'm like, hey. She goes, are you with the production? And I'm like, what job, what client is this? And she's like, it's for Bloomingdale's. And she goes, well, are you on the team? Are you here for, for this shoot? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. She's like, what's your name? And I'm like, Jim Jordan. She's like, oh my God, you're JJ. And she gets up and she goes, I'm Renee. I'm the one that hired you. And she goes, well, give me a hug. And I give her a big hug. And she goes, do you want a cigarette? Sit with me. So she's sitting on the curb. And I'm like, no, it's okay. I don't smoke. So she goes, sit with me. Talk to me. Where are you from? And I want to get to know you. And she starts talking to me. She goes, what are you into? Like, what do you do? And what do you do for fun? And I'm like, I skate and I surf and I'm from California. And I do hair and makeup. And that's what I've been doing for many years. I'm just I take pictures. And this is like really my first. She goes, I know this is like your first big job. You've been doing J. Crew. And I've seen those pictures. are beautiful. She goes, but can I tell you why I hired you? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, first of all, I worked with photographers. I've been an art director for like 12 years, and I worked with different photographers every week. And I see everybody's book. I probably get 10 portfolios a day on my desk. She goes, but when I got your pictures, it came in this black box, and I started walking, opening these prints. And she goes, and there was something so unique, not just the way you presented your pictures, but the look in these people's eyes. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she says, it was the look in these people's eyes that I wanted to hire the guy that they were looking at like that. She goes, because I'd never seen in a lot of people's photographers, it was like the look was, but when I saw the people you photographed, it was like they were like looking at somebody and I wanted to know who that person they were looking at that made their eyes look like fit. And she goes, and that's why I hired you. And I was like, God, I don't know what to say. Like, thank you for taking a chance with me. And so that kind of was the icebreaker with this woman, Renee. And she kind of held my hand through this whole journey on that job. And I got an agent in New York. And I did that job 14 days later. I was on a roll. And my agent was loved me. And at night, she was taking me to dinner with all these editors of all these magazines in New York. And the first seven days I was there, she took me to dinner with the editor of American Vogue named Ivan Shaw. We had a dinner one night after one of my shoots, and Ivan and me had a super amazing connection with Bonnie. And he was like, I like you, JJ. I want to give you start giving you jobs. So I started working for American Vogue right away. And then Bonnie just started booking me on Eddie Bauer and Land's End and L.L. Bean and Louis Claire. And she would say she represented Francesco Scavullo and like really big photographers. And she'd always say to me, you're the easiest photographer I've ever represented. And I'm like, like, why? I'm not that good. I'm not that technical. She goes, it's not about being technical, Jay. It's about connecting with people and communicating and love and like being so available to people. It's not just how good or technical you are. It's how people want to be with you. It's about the experience of enjoying life and doing life together. And you're so good at that. She goes, I could get people to see your pictures and then send you in to go. I could go see a meeting with them. And you'll book the job every time. It might be better for photographers that have more work or more prestigious work 
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash That's netsuite.com slash Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Kind of getting into it, but you're you're just really a good communicator and you let you seal the deal all the time. And so that was it. I was on this train and I was always trying to get off the train because I always had the voices in my head like, they're going to find out you don't know shit about technical or being a photographer. And then I just started getting these jobs and every job I was so afraid. And when it would end over, I'd be like, Oh my God, I got through the fire. Like, whew, how did I make it through that? And every job I started to do, I was super nervous, but I would come out through the other end. And I started realizing as I look back at my life now, is like, like my motto is, are the things that I fear most are the things I need to run to. And so I started making a mission of my life that things that scared me are the things that I needed to run for. Because on the other side of that fear was the miracle and blessings from God or whoever you believe. But I believe like my miracles were from God and that there were other things that were getting in the way of my miracle, trying to keep me afraid and keep me back. 
And I think that my photography career after 15 years of doing hair and makeup, I was ready to run toward what my, I could ever dream after five years, but I was in fear for 10, being held back, never thinking I deserved it or could be it, or I was rich enough, or cool enough, or I was supported enough. And I just got on this journey and on that train ride, and I just started slaying stuff. And I started learning more and becoming more confident. Even though still today, I don't even consider myself a photographer. I never considered myself really a hair and makeup guy or wore a badge like in the hairdresser. I just wanted to be with people and make them look, show them how I saw them. And I took a camera to be able to document how I saw somebody that I could show them. Like I do a girl's makeup and hair that was like 15 and bullied in school. And I thought she was the only person in the world that I thought she was beautiful. I do her makeup and hair, chop her hair and turn her around to look in the mirror. And she starts bawling, crying that she couldn't even believe that was her. And that feeling alone was what drove me to keep going. And then I would take pictures of people and then show them how I would show them and watch them like cry. And I'd be like, God, this is amazing. This is worth more than any money, anything I could do. And I never did it for money. I never got into this to make money. I didn't want to become a photographer because I would shoot hot girls or movie stars or be in the end of my fashion business. I did it because I wanted to connect with people and show people how I saw things. And I used that little black box to pull the trigger to capture that moment to show them how I saw them. And that I, they would trust me enough. I loved it. I love the story. Um, thank you very much for for giving that over. Uh, you know, a lot of people gloss over a lot of the details of, of their life. Um, but I appreciate that even though you had several points, like you mentioned, like you were really, uh, there's a lot of self-doubt that you sort of pushed through and that's not easy. And I think that that's something that a lot of people have problems with. And I guess, you know, how do you, my question to you, cause I have other questions out of that story for sure, but how do you deal with that self-doubt? Like, how do you Push yourself to make the decision. Is it is it because you had the right people in your life, the right mentors, or was it intrinsically, like you know, coming from inside, internal? That even though you could, you even though you were saying you couldn't do it, you still took that step forward. But how how, how did you sort of keep going? Well, like being in fear that kept me in fear for so many years, mm-hmm. being something that I really was unhappy doing. When I had a dream, like I knew there was way more to me. And I feel like it was a lot of things. I feel like a lot of the people that kind of pulled me out of my box were like angels, like sent from God, mm-hmm. in a way to look back at it now. And I believe I was a lot of work that I do, that I did, and that I'm constantly doing to keep myself present and to be able to recognize those voices that are coming in all the time to recognize whose voice it is and to realize and not recognize the truth and the truth of who I am and why I'm here and that I can do all things. Mm-hmm. And the voices that are trying to keep me or make me afraid, I realize those voices are, are, are it's like a, an arrow of which way I need to go. So if something's saying, you can't, I'm going and running toward that. And I journal every day. I started doing a book called The Artist's Way. And it's a 12-week workbook that changed my life back then when I started 
became a photographer. I embarked on this 12-week journey called The Artist's Way. And I, rec and I recommend it for every creative, if people that have lost their creative gifts and don't know what they are or how to recover them or discover them. I recommend this workbook for everybody I know. It changed my life. And part of doing that work, the third week, in the first third week I did that work, I became a fashion photographer. And part of the exercise you do every day is you journal three pages, full pages every morning. And I started journaling these things that came out of me on my journal that I didn't even know when I would reread it, I would say to myself, who is that writing that? Like it was such a disconnect of how I thought. But then when I wrote something on a journal, like my heart, and I would read this stuff and bawl my eyes out, like who is that? And I started to journal every day. And the third week of me journaling, I met Emily, gave me that job. And the second week, I met Renee and got that job. The third week, I was shooting for Vogue. And I just kept journaling and journaling and journaling. It's like people that say they meditate every day, they don't stop meditating. I believe that my journaling changed my life. And every day I was in fear and write about my fear, write about my fear. And I keep writing about it. And every day I thought, I'm like, I'm sick of writing about how scared I am. Why don't I just effing do it? And then I won't have to write about it every day. So I did a lot of things to kind of push me out there. And to kind of, and then I would start saying, you know what? It's more, I'm more afraid that I won't do it in my life than doing it. What's more painful, not doing it and watching it pass you by or trying it and saying, what? being afraid there too and i always realized by me just doing it and sick of writing about it and i'm just afraid of why all the excuses i made for myself why i didn't do it so i'm a big advocate about running toward fear and running through the fire because your miracle and your miracles are there on the other side waiting for you that's, that's powerful and that's how I, I've lived my life. And, and I try to share that with everybody I know. And now, I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I just, I, I feel like I'm still evolving and I, I want to help people. And, you know, when I, when I became a photographer, it was kind of all about how much, how high I could climb this ladder. And I started getting these things that were miracles to me. And this opportunity and the people that I've been able to be around and the influence I've had. And I had a lot of, you know, life-changing experience in my life, like really life-changing. And I started shooting and I've been shooting probably like for 10 years. And I was getting everything I ever wanted in my life. And I had a ton of access to finances and houses and money and celebrities and the who's who and being in the in crowd and and I just started realizing, you know, like all this stuff was like empty to me. And everything I desired in my life, like I would obtain it, like the world would say, oh, that's so cool. You have the coolest job. But somehow I always felt like really sad and empty inside, no matter how much I thought or how many big jobs and big movie stars I'd get to shoot. It was cool and it felt great and I was thankful. But that happiness never lasted. So I started having like these, you know, questions and I had like uh I don't know how to say it but I had like a, a breakthrough like a, a like like a breakthrough or a breakdown or a coming to at the end of myself yeah 
epiphany, epiphany uh, whatever. Epiphany, yeah, epiphany. epiphany. That this wasn't all about me anymore. And I ended up in the hospital and I was like on my deathbed and they didn't know what was wrong with me. And they said, your kidneys were failing. And they basically gave me four hours to live and they called in the, you know, the, the pastor to give me my last rites and my whole family was there. And I was laying on my deathbed, not even able to move. And I had a I had a supernatural miracle happen in the hospital room. And I was miraculously healed. And I sat up with this like miracle that happened. And it's a whole long story. And my life changed. And I came out of the hospital, completely healed two days later. And I made a big, I had a big life-changing moment in my life. And I said, this isn't about me anymore. It's not how rich, it's not how famous, it's not how many celebrities I could shoot. It's not how many trips and jobs and all these things that are bring me temporary happiness. Like my job now is to help other people. And my job now is to, to give the gifts and the talents and the experiences I've had to give it to other people and to hold other people's hands and, and help them navigate the jungle. And I was like, had this, you know, I started having dreams at night. And it sounds crazy. And I was having dreams at night, like literally, and I was being spoken to and I was being told to do things. And I'd wake up out of these dreams and I'd grab my journal and I'd start writing these things in this journal. And one of the dreams I was having, it was at night. It was, it was me being shown that I was out on a battlefield and there were nurses running into the fire to help hurting people, the dying soldiers. And they were lifting them up, carrying them out of harm's way. And I heard these specific directions that I was going to have a company and it was going to be called White Cross. <laughs> and it was going to be based on the light helping hurting people. And then it was going to be a production company and I was going to have a, a production where I was to help young kids, and I was that I was being told that I was perfectly placed exactly where I was meant to be. And that my mission field wasn't in Haiti or Africa or all these other places, that my that the hurting and the sick and the dying were right here in the entertainment business, right where I was positioned. And so I started to pay attention to it and listen, like, well, maybe there's something real here. So I went out and I went back to my roots on finding models. Because along my journey, I would find a model along my journey and just say, hey, let me take some pictures of you. Go meet this agency. Bye. Good luck. And I'd turn them loose. And I'd run into these models like three, four years later. And they were like, I'm not modeling it. I'm like, who were you with in Paris? Who were you with in London? Did you do fashion? They're like, no, we just stayed in LA. And no one ever got me agents all over. And I'm like, damn, you should have been a star. And so I went out and I started finding models again. And I opened my company, White Cross Productions. I got incorporated. I got an LLC done. I trademarked the name. And then White Cross Management, talent management company. And I got this company, did the logos and opened the websites. And I went to, started, had some models that I had discovered that I was like, I'm not going to just give them away anymore. I'm going to hold their hands and I'm going to carry them. And I'm going to not give them to these agents that are going to just do whatever they want. I'm going to hold them and be a foundation for them 
and they're going to have to talk to me and get through me because I knew a lot about the business instead of just push these young kids around. So I opened the company. I started filling my roster with talent. I was in Granby, Colorado in a barn shooting a job for Macy's, and I walked up with this 14-year-old girl, and I said, hi, what's your name? She's looking at me like, hi. And I'm like, what's your name? She goes, Taylor Hill. And I go, hey, Taylor, is your mom here? And she goes, yeah, she's out there. So I went out, and I talked to her mom. I go, is that your daughter? Daughter's a star. Who are you? And I'm like, I'm Jim Jordan, a fashion photographer. I have a talent management company, and I manage talent, young talent. Long story short, I started finding girls and discovering and basically hand-holding these kids and taking pictures of them and grooming them and placing them with agents all over the world. And this girl, Taylor Hill, is now the biggest model in the world. And I started her when she was 14 years old. Her and her mom lived with me in my house here. And I started grooming, putting agents all around the world. And I have this formula where I would do that with every model I found. And that's how White Cross came about. And my management company and started finding talent. I discovered Gigi Hadid. And I had worked with her mom, Yolanda, for many years when she was modeling. And I placed Gigi with agents all over the world. I helped Yolanda make all her meetings in New York. And, and I found the hot felon, Jeremy Meeks, the prisoner, who his mugshot went viral. And I went and took him out of jail, moved him in my house and rehabilitated him and groomed him and placed agents all over the world and did kind of those type of things. So my, my company as a fashion photographer and being a talent manager all kind of goes inside of each other. And so I spent my life, you know, and everything I'm doing now is to help people and really keep an eye on people. And I'm finding new talent every day and I'm keeping my photography and I'm learning still and making mistakes and just trying to keep my mind open and keep opportunities that keep coming, you know? How, how was, um, how, what were some of the struggles that you found when you transitioned into this new stage in your life where you built out a business, started really um, aiding in the careers of all these young individuals that obviously didn't have the proper representation? Were there any things that you, that you had to, because you spoke about all the, the struggles that you had sort of going through your photography from, from hair and makeup to photography and sort of that career path. But what about the more recent things that you've, that you've understood or that you've had to learn? One of the biggest lessons that I had to learn is, you know, becoming a businessman and learning, you know, when I first started, all I was was creative. I didn't care about the money and I didn't care about the, the database and keeping business cards and phone numbers. Or I didn't even know when I was getting paid, if I was getting paid or not being paid. I was the biggest reckless. I was just out shooting big jobs. I didn't know if the agents were And I found out years later that my agent had been stealing from me and taking a lot of money from me. And I just kind of woke up to it. And I realized at that time, when I confronted them, that they were producing all my jobs. And I realized my agent makes more on a day than I'm even making as the photographer out there sweating, doing it all. And so I started realizing how much money they were really making. They weren't just my photo rep. They were producing all my jobs. They were hiring the motorhomes and the caterers and the studios and prop stylists and all of these things. 
and they would hire a makeup artist. The budget would be $1,500 for the makeup and hair, and she would only give the hair and makeup $500. So she's making $1,000 in her pocket off of my job. And that went down with the motorhome, looking for, give the motorhome driver $500, and she'd make 1000 a day on the motorhome. So she'd make 500 So every day I'd go to work, I started realizing she was making like 20000 a day, and I'd go to work and be making half of that. And then not to mention, she wasn't paying me, stealing from me. So I had to like take this big, bold stance, even though I never was a business guy. And I confronted her and I said, look, your party's over. If you want to work with me, I'm going to produce all my own jobs. And I'm going to do my own billing and I'll give you my 20%. And at that time, clients started calling me and they're like, hey, we call your agency and your agency now is telling us you're not available, that you're booked. And it was one of my big clients for Brooks Brothers. And so I'm like, when did you want to book me? And I find out that I was available. So she wasn't giving me those jobs because she'd give it to another photographer where she could produce those jobs. So I started learning business. Like, whoa, this is gnarly. Yeah, and, how, and how, unfortunately how shitty some people are, which yeah. is not, yeah. And so I ended up really stepping in and opening my company, White Cross Productions. And I had a business manager that was consulting me holding my hand because I was opening another business at the time, a cosmetic company. And she started saying to me, and I said, I left my agent. She's like, why did you do that? That was stupid. This is what's funding your cosmetic company. And I'm like, I don't care. I'd rather have nothing than be stolen for and lie right to my face. She goes, well, why didn't you take the money, open your company, and start hiring two new assistants and teach them how to be agents? So I hired two full-time administrative assistants. I taught them how to use my database. I taught them, I gave them the client list. And I said to each one of them, I want you to make 50 introduction calls every single day on the phone. Here are the art directors, here's their phone numbers, here's their address. So each one had a task every day to call 50, leave a message or send a mailing from a promotional piece with a stamp and a logo. Every day they put them in the mailbox. Within three months, I was booked every day. And they were producing their own jobs. I taught them all how to be producers. So they booked a client and they hired the models, the location, permits. And I started thinking to myself, this is insane. How much more money I was making as a production company. I had control over my whole shoot now. Everybody on set was like something that I saw. It wasn't because she was ripping everyone off and everyone was unhappy. Even the client, when I get to work, they were already pissed at me. I didn't even know them. So I started getting a grip of like really how to have a vision, not just for what I saw, but the experience I was having on set. And then my production company became in full swing. It was really a real production company at that time. And so to answer your question, it, like the challenge was like how to really step in and own what becoming a businessman and taking my creative hat off and putting it aside and really step in and take responsibility for being a businessman. Can I can I ask you something too? Because you touched on a point that I thought was interesting. Why is there? Why are the people that are charged with like this agent that was working with you? Why are, why is that individual? There's not a higher level of I don't know scrutiny or due diligence or just care in working with these young people's careers because I feel like that shouldn't like I feel like that shouldn't be an issue with somebody who's charged with working with, with people that could be very earlier on in their career and they don't have the experience, they don't have the proper representation. 
So why is that still an issue? Why is that not more brought front and center? And, and why is she like not out of business? That's, I guess, why is she still around? Yeah, they are. She, she is out of business now. Mm. And it was, I don't know. I think people are afraid. Very powerful New York people, lawyer husbands. And it was just kind of like, oh. And I couldn't really prove stuff, but I knew. And that happens all the time. Agents steal all the time from model, model agency steal. Model agency, booker, client will say, hey, we have $5,000 for the model a day. They'll call the model and say, you got $2,500. They don't have to. So a model agency could give the model $2,500. The model says, yeah, I'll do it. So as soon as she says, I'll do it for $2,500, they don't need to tell her that they're really making five grand. The model's stoked, so the agent is like, oh, great. And then they'll take the 20% out of her 2500 Like it happens. It's like business. Yeah, it shouldn't be, though. That's really shitty business. It really is. Yeah. So, so there are a lot of yeah. things I learned and how to wake up really quickly to do, you know? I didn't realize that. You know, I've never been part of the the whole I guess, talent and creative side of business, but I've heard more of these stories and it's unfortunate that it's still, yeah. it's still around. Yeah, a lot of that still happens. So I decided I don't want an agent anymore. It's like, I don't need an agent. My agents, you know, charging me 20% of everything I make, that 20% that I make, I can afford my own employees or yeah. have anybody to help me do that. And it's, it will pay, it's way worth it. So it's like getting over the fear of being a businessman and opening a company, being a boss. I never thought I'd be a boss to people, and I hate it. I don't like being a boss. I don't like having a man as that side of my brain. I want to be out and be free and run naked with my camera and be like, woo, and just be like this kid that's like seeing life for the first time. That's what I want to do. That's no. like I have to be a businessman, too, and, and wear both hats. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, that's what that's that's sort of like that running towards the fear point you made before. Yeah. Now what? So you built out the production. You built out the management, the photography. Where do you all all successful? I think it's just impressive, like to the to the degree because now you're at the upper echelons, like the names that you've brought into your even your talent management is upper echelons of 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 the arts of creative. So what's, where do you go from here as, as like, what's your career path going forward? So here's what I'm doing now is I shoot a lot of people and I, I'm inspired to take pictures all the time. And I, I have a lot of great contacts and things that I generate just by going out at night, shaking people's hands and introducing myself. I want to be the first one to say hi to people and I want to know what their stories are. And I want to be truly authentic and real about that. So I have all these amazing people in my life and I'm like, why am I taking pictures? So e-com came in and all the advertising companies lowered their budgets and all the models are making half the money they used to make. And all the stuff with the economy and the things of e-com, everything went e-com. There were no catalogs in the mail. Magazines are getting thinner and thinner. All of them are going out of business. Nobody wants to pay photographers anymore. And so I said, why am I giving, doing all these photo shoots for magazines? They don't pay any money. Why don't I just open my own magazine? And so I just opened a company magazine called James Magazine. 
And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a new magazine and I'm featuring like Gigi Hadid on the cover and Taylor Hill and Chris Jenner and Zendaya. And I have, I have like eight issues out now. So it's like a little project that I'm doing and it's really rewarding because I can put all my creative energy into my own vision all the way around the logos, the look, the shape and, and bring the talent that I want to, sh to shoot and just put them on the covers of my magazine. Not saying I don't shoot for other people still, but I just, I feel that's really rewarding. And I want to build this platform with the magazine to one day make it a really amazing magazine with great advertising in it and Rolex and Range Rover and get some really amazing advertising and kind of build slowly this brand and see what happens with that. I'm also very interested in creating a brand, a clothing company off of my White Cross brand called White Cross Collections. And I, you know, very, I love the whole military, 1940s, 1950s, turn of the century type of clothing and nurses and soldiers and dog tags and like the whole really military vibe. So I'm very interested in indulging on these type of projects and companies. I said, I've been out for years and years branding other people's brands. So they'll hire me and say, hey, we have a, a new pair of shoes. How can you shoot them and make the whole world want to buy them? And I've been really good and successful at doing that or saying, hey, we have this new makeup. How do we sell it? Or how do you photograph it? So it's very eye-catching. But now it's time Now you, it's time for you to do it for, yeah, for yourself. Stories on how I want to not just give that away anymore. I want to kind of teach to give that to my to my own talent, my own gift. I'm also have a book coming out that I'm in the process of writing a book with the New York Times bestseller. It's about my life, a journey in my life. It's like a coming of age story about a young kid that pushes through all the obstacles in his life of how the world had wanted him to be and who the world kind of teaches young kids of who they should be. Mm -hmm. And I have a story that I'm writing about my life as a young creative and that was very People didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't really know what it was, but I knew I had a gift and I was unlike anybody else. When everybody was else was out playing football and sports and doing stuff, I was climbing trees with a chainsaw, manicuring trees or cutting every dog's hair in the neighborhood or like just beautifying everything I saw. And so I, that was my, that's what I love doing and I still love it. And I get lost in like making things look beautiful. It's cutting your hair or styling you or getting you to get real and funny and talk stories about hearts and what means things to us and not be surface and just like life's going by and we're all just fucking faking it. And we're all just in pain and no one's getting real and authentic with each other. And that's what I love to do is connect with people that I can be so real and transparent and like, let the walls down and, and be free and see life like little kids that are untouched and effed up by the world. How do you, how do, how does someone, how does someone do that though? How does someone see life through the lens that you see it when they're struggling with, with finances and day to day and stuff? It's very difficult for people. I'm curious if you have tips. It's hard. I have, I have, I have 
I've lived, I, oh, it's such a loaded question, but. I know, I'm sorry, but I, no, I just no, feel no. the passion. That's why I'm asking. No, I do. Like, I, I, uh, I, I do a lot of things and I believe a lot of things and I, and I'm very spirit. I believe in spirit. I'll tell you what, we can do it. We can do a follow-up when we'll do like an in-person sit down after the book yeah. and whatnot. That'll be good. But I, I give it away and I, and I trust God and I keep giving the more I give, the more I get. And the more if I'm running out of resources or finance, the more I, 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 I try to get my eyes off of my pain and my hurt and my, my pity and me, 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 me. And I try to go help somebody else in the midst of my, my hurting. Like I always say to people like, God, I'm hurting and I don't know what I'm going to bake cookies and go give them to someone. Like, go clean, help somebody. And I, I've learned and I've done a lot of things where I've like kept everything in like me and my pity party and like, ah. Oh. And I have had hard times and I've had really hard times and broken times and scary times in my life. My life didn't always look like this. And sometimes in the midst of how good your life does look, in the midst like of everything I do have, like there's so many times where I feel like nothing. Because it's not about the material things in our life. It's about the things that like when we're all alone and we're sitting there like, what is the quality of our life? Who do we get to share it with? Who do we get to talk with just to be hard, let them know how we really are? That it's not just always looking good and like, I got to have it all together. And like, yeah, I'm like, what's up? Meanwhile, I'm dying inside. So there are a lot of things in my life now that I do. Like I pray a lot. And I write, and I, I, I look up, I keep my eyes up. I don't keep my eyes on the problems and what's happening. I get in my journal every morning, writing in my journal. I write the things that I'm in pain about, and the things that I'm scared about, and the things that I love, and the things that I'm so thankful for. That's a good answer. That's a very good answer. So and don't. Do. Yeah. And it, it's the way it works for me. And I've been to Kabbalah, and I used to go to sweat lodges every full moon. And I've been to every, I'm friends with the Dalai Lama, and I've been in every religion and culture, and I've explored everything looking for God and looking for my answer and looking for peace. And I ran to the ends of the earth. I'd go to India every year and sit in ashrams and pray and meditate. I'd go to Tibet, and I'd go everywhere. I'd go to Agape for 13 years, and I went to the Kabbalah Center, and I do everything, looking for the truth and looking for my God. And that's a follow-up to this, was where I was miraculously healed and where my answer came from. And when I, I couldn't deny what happened to me in the hospital was the truth of what I had always been looking for. Yeah, very powerful. And a lot of people, uh, very powerful. That's where I'm at. and I. I try to embrace that every day. And a lot of days still, I'm human. And a lot of days, I'm in fear. And a lot of days, I'm in power. And a lot of days, I'm in the state of like not believing anything that there's a God or anyone's for me. And then there's days where I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to check in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is real. Okay. I got my, eye up, my, my eyes are up again. Not on myself or my problems. Very good. Very yeah. good answer. 
Thank you. You're awesome. No, it's uh listen, it's my pleasure. Um I never I never really know where these interviews will go because it's always about the person I'm speaking to. But when when you open up so authentically, like there's a lot of things that you brought up, like the story and just like some of the, even like some of the very tactical things that I hope people that are listening can take those away and and apply them to their own life. Forget religion even for a second, just some of the the mental tricks and the and the fortitude and the perseverance that it takes, the ability to go towards your problems, the ability to be a good communicator, to be human, to be authentic, to be passionate. These are all incredible things. And then on top of that, the ability to to be to have faith and confidence in yourself and find faith and drive to overcome those times when it's a little bit darker and 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 stressful like those are all things that people need to need right now more i think more than any time that i've been alive people need those types of of tangible takeaways um in the people that they listen to and the people that they they you know they you know they get their content they you know it could be it could be religion it could be a person it could be it could be even like a, a pastime but i think people need positive so the more the i i really i really appreciate that as you walk through your story you go through all the times where it wasn't so good and you didn't even go really deeply into the dark times, but you could tell there was some stuff that was a struggle for sure. So I, I, I like how you walk through that a lot. And that's, uh, I just want to say thank you for, for the story. And I do have a few like, you know, quick, uh, like, I guess, rapid fire questions that I'd like to do at the end. Um, but I just want to say thank you for going through that. It was really, really nice of you. And is there, is there anything else that you wanted to add on? Just that we're human, we're the human, we're humans, and there's going to be those days, and it's not going to ever be perfect. We're always going to, you know, there's days where I'm super afraid still, and I'm insecure, and there's days where I'm very confident, I'm sure, and I have a vision. And I always say to myself, like, what you see is what you be. I have a little thing on my desk that I look at every single day, and it says, vision plus action equals manifestation. And that's what I live my life with. And it's about my vision and it's about what I see. It's about what I dream of and what I can see. Very good. And if I can um, see it, like I can see it. And I encourage you guys, whoever's listening, to really dream and see and try to have vision. It's like being a boat out in the ocean that doesn't have a lighthouse and there's no land inside. And the life and the waves are going to take us everywhere. And they're going to throw us to and fro. But if you have your eyes on the light and the prize of where you're going, you can get there. And that's how I believe and that's how I live my life. So keep you're, drinking big. You're, um, you're, fa- you're, you're fast forwarding because I was going to ask you, one of my rapid fire questions is, is one lesson that you would tell your younger self and you've told me like a, you've told me a whole bunch of them. So I guess I'm still going to ask you, what would, what would be that one lesson that you would tell your younger self that would help you? He said, run, don't be afraid of the fire. Go run, go run toward the things you fear most. Very good. That's the things I've learned most of my life. And every time I ran, ran through it, it was almost like there was some somebody on the other side with their arms open, grabbing me and putting a prize around my neck. Um, very um, good. Sorry. Like I won that race. Yeah. 
No, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you one more, just uh, another quick question. Where do you go? Where, where's a resource that you go to learn? It could be a podcast. It could be an audible. It could be a person. It could be a book, something that you would recommend people go check out besides uh, the, besides the work you recommended before the creative. I, rec- I recommend a few things. I recommend the number one thing I recommend is a book called the artist way. And it's a 12 week workbook and it's life changing. And I believe in everybody I meet and everybody I come in contact with. I think it's the most life-changing experience in work that anybody can do. And it's called the it's called the Artist Way by Julie Cameron. That's one one thing. And I I I think you should just continue to to um, I watch a lot of YouTube. I just things I'm interested in. I love watching YouTube documentaries. And other people's stories. I love the human struggles and challenges. I just love music and watching films and just getting lost in that. So many visions and stories I want to tell as a filmmaker, still as a director, and making documentaries and really heartfelt films that just rip your heart out and make you feel like life is good it's so emotional like the world teaches us not to feel and to numb out and that we're supposed to be a certain way and have it all together no matter who dies anything and it's so beautiful to watch people just like feel again and hug and love each other and not feel like like everything i it's like when i think i know it all i lose everything if I feel like I don't know it all, then there's room for the miracles to come in my life. And that's a lesson that I've learned in my life. Like, i got to vacate myself from my opinions sometimes. And then the universe or God can use you, teach you and keep expanding you. I lived my life so many years where I knew the answer to everything. I didn't care about anyone's opinion. That's before I had my transformation in my life. But when I had that miracle happen to me, I, I vacated. I was like, I don't know anything. I don't have your answer. But I still don't. I just know how to get my answer. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm out in that sea floating around and emotional and crazy and moody and an asshole. And I'm just not. I'm, some days I'm just like, I feel now grateful and thankful that you would even want to hear what I have to say. Yeah, well, I think that I think that it's pretty obvious when you when you start uncovering the stories of people like yourself, like people that have done incredible things in their lives. And that's what the whole purpose of this podcast is, right? It's to unpack that story. Because if somebody looks at you today, they see what you are today, they see a very small point in time, which is which is the 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 culmination of so many things that have happened over your life. And I want, I want to unpack that so people can understand that progress because the more people can understand that the path to success or whatever success is perceived to be um, is not linear, it's not simple, it's not easy, it's not fun, it's, it's in certain scenarios, right? Like there's so many nuances, there's so much to it. And that's really what I think, you know, that, that's what you did an incredible job of telling over and that's really what I, I want to accomplish here. So thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate that. I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Last thing is very important. Where do people go to connect with you, uh, find your work, um, new book? Where's that going to be? What what are all those outlets, uh, social uh, websites? 
I have an Instagram. I have two Instagram. One is called Jim Jordan Photography, at Jim Jordan Photography. I have another for my talent management company. It's at White Cross Management. I have another Instagram for scouting if people want to be models or think they could be models. It's called at White Cross Model Scout. And then I have my website, jimjordanphotography.com. And my book, I hope to be coming out probably in six months. We don't have a name yet, but I'll keep you posted. And there's a lot of, you know, I'm sponsored by a lot of different companies that have a lot of things on site. So if you go to Google, you can see some different companies I work for. But I have some amazing sponsors that believe in me and are very generous and kind of help me tell my story through my art and photos, commercials and things that I direct. But this is the beginning, baby. We're, we're going, you know. That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. 
I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 